This podcast was recorded on March 26, 2020. Cut and cut. Cut it there. Cut, 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 cut. Ribbit. And cut. Cut. Cut, 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 cut. Cut. And cut. Cut. Let's try it again. Cut. And cut. 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 Check the gate. Cut it. Cut. Oh, so we were talking about, or I mentioned earlier about Rose's butterfly clip. And right at the beginning of this drawing scene, she takes it out of her hair, which is kind of like a symbol of her coming out of her cocoon and becoming a butterfly. She has it in her hair pretty much the whole first half of the movie, right up until the scene when she finally takes it off. And I don't think she ever puts it back on again after this. No. And I think her hair is down. Yeah. It's down for the rest of the, of the, the movie. movie. Yeah. And so Cal goes to the safe, opens it and then finds a note and the, the drawing. And originally the scene had Cal ripping the, uh, the drawing the drawing. Billy Zane is like, you know what? It would be more effective if I try to tear I, it. Yeah, I thought you were going to be like, Billy Zane isn't strong enough to tear it. So. <laughs> and it totally fits that scene. I love it. Yeah, I thought that was a really good. It's more heart-wrenching that way. It's great. If it's yeah, because he's more like clenching it as opposed to like ripping it. And to me, it also solidifies that the drawing is good. Like it's so it's, right. it's so like, good. He's like, damn it, it's and, nice. And he sees Jack's talent of like that he's not just right. some like scruffy kid from the street. Um, Could and you so, imagine like a stick figure <laughs> instead? <laughs> Or it was just like truly got awful. Like, yeah, it's just, just like, like the face is all fucked up. Knowing what you know, you just saw Cade Winslet na- naked in the drawing scene. And now they're going down to the car and it's pretty apparent that they're about to have sex. Now we need to see Leo naked, but we don't. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? I was a child, so I had no idea. Like I guess I could thought they were going to make out or something like that was pretty much... All I had in my seven-year-old head. That whole scene, that sequence again with the steam and the hand. That was another... I feel like as a kid watching that, we were talking about how we felt during like Kate being naked, like during that scene versus... I think I felt more awkward during the car sex scene than I did during the Kate being naked. Also, like I think most people probably thought all of that like sexy stuff was over as soon as the drawing thing ended. And so everyone was like, Okay. That's our, our, our one. That's scene. the one awkward thing. Yeah. And then like it happened in the car and we we're just like, oh god damn it. And like it was just awkward again. There's a lot of stories of what went down with the iceberg. Um a lot of it people blamed the guys on the crow's nest, or uh I believe the Californian, which was very close to the Titanic at the time, had sent them uh warnings of icebergs that were that they had uh, come into. But they completely ignore their signs. And then when Titanic tried to communicate to the Californian, uh, the Californian had shut off radio transmission to conserve energy. Jerks. A lot of things went wrong and nothing went right for him. And so in the in the film, you know, it's it's sort of set up as like, you know, Leo and Cage just had sex. They're coming out. Everything's great. Everything's gravy. And the guys in the crow's nest are like, oh, look at them in love. And like... <laughs> distracted and then holy shit there's a big also you think about it like there aren't any lights out in the ocean and like the ones from the ship probably don't really illuminate much in front of them and it was a moonless night and so it was completely dark and so like even in the movie you can kind of barely make out the iceberg just it's just like a different shade of blue than everything else so i can see why they didn't see it until the very last minute also isn't there like a story about like the crow's nest they lost their binoculars or someone else had their binoculars or something like that something like that where like they like misplaced them or um i think leaving they had like left them uh at the dock or or something like that but they didn't have the required equipment to like help them sort of navigate i think there's like a scene earlier where mr murdoch has binoculars and so I think it was when James Cameron was doing his commentary. He was like, oh, they couldn't find it because Murdoch had the binoculars. So the crow's nest didn't have so them. So it's Murdoch's yeah, fault. Yeah, it's Murdoch's fault. The way that develops in the movie, sound plays a big role in that. Um, and I think in real life as well, because so 
obviously a Titanic strikes the iceberg. If you were like in, in first class, you probably didn't really hear much. The people that really heard it were in lower decks because I mean, that's straight impact on, on their level. And so, you know, you hear the impact of the iceberg and then, yeah, Leo and Kate see part of it sort of come off to the, to the front of the ship, but people in first class are like, what was that? Like yeah. they just, they don't, they, it's, it's almost like having like a small earthquake where like it barely shakes and you even think like, was that actually an earthquake? I think you see that a little bit in um, Thomas Andrew's office. Like when it's hitting the side, he's just like looking at the blueprints for whatever reason. Yeah. And it starts shaking and his pencils are like wobbling or whatever. Right. But I, at that time, I don't think he was thinking we just. No, he was iceberg. probably just like. um. Yeah, whatever. Iceberg hits and iceberg right ahead. Another legendary line. And they're hitting the bell on set. That bell was the actual bell from the Titanic. Oh, it was like a replica of made by the same company that had made the one in the Titanic. When they shot it, they didn't really record the bell sound because it was all the other shit happening. And so when they were doing the mix, the the sound design team replicated it and used another bell. And so James Cameron being on set when they did the mix, they're like, that's not the bell that we used. And basically the bell was still in Mexico and he had the, the, the bell, the actual bell that they used on set shipped first class to, uh, um, to LA where they're doing the mix to re-record the actual bell so they could get it. At least it wasn't that far. Mexico yeah, to LA. You could, they could have uh, just driven there one day and right? picked it up. But it was, I think the sound designer was like, yeah, it's the first time I think a bell has been ever shipped. Like first oh my class. Goodness. right after the iceberg hits, Everyone's just kind of like whatever about it yeah. because Titanic was quote unquote unsinkable. So you see people playing soccer with pieces of ice on the deck. There's even a, like a back and forth between two guys that are like, Oh, did you see where it hit? And he like tosses a huge chunk of iceberg on the guy. And he's like, no, I think it hit over there. And it's just like another, just like another red flag where it's like, if you guys would have acted maybe a little bit faster, like this would have been less tragic. And especially the people that knew what had just happened, like the captain and yeah. the crew, uh, everyone else didn't really, like I said, didn't really know what happened. And obviously water starts leaking in and it's filling from the bottom up. Especially I'm sure people in the first class, because it had started from the bottom, were like, well, we don't see any water, so I'm just going to go back to bed or whatever. You right. know? We cut to the, the boiler room and obviously that's the first sort of level that's, that's impacted. Um, the set of the boiler room was one of the only sets that you couldn't um, uh, receive the water. Once you poured water into that set, it would it would just fill up. And so they had to shoot it super quickly. And that's one of the reasons why it's one of the few sequences where you see a lot of handheld camera where they actually had two guys knowing that they can't sort of release the water once it's in. And they shot a very guerrilla style very quick and they shot it in a day, which is like kind of crazy because yeah. like of all the chaos that's happening. And, and it looks really good too. Doors are coming down and, and guys are barely going through under the doors. And yeah, it looks great. It's a very great contrast from like the rest of the movie. That's very sort of, you know, slow or, or lots of pans, lots of, of dolly shots and crane shots and the chaos that that would have been if you were like, you know, stuck in the boiler room. Some of the shots are almost like first person, like POV shots, like when all the guys are like diving under the watertight doors. And um, when James Cameron was doing the commentary on it, he mentions that in reality, they probably wouldn't have struggled to dive under the door because there was like another way out of the room. There was like a staircase somewhere behind them or something. But just to make it more dramatic, he was yeah, just like, yeah. let's have them almost get squished by this door. So lowering the boats, which they actually had to do on set, um, a lot of the stunt team had to train um, the crew and all the extras uh, how to do it. And so logistically, like a lot of the scene, the chaotic scenes of them, like lowering it was almost real because it's like, it was, they, you know, you see the, the, the lifeboats sort of lowering unevenly. And since they weren't trained, uh, that's actually what was happening. That's so, pretty scary. Especially if you're like an extra that was on one of the lifeboats while they were trying to lower it. Like that was like 60 feet off the ground, probably. Plus you had like 40 to 50 actors like on the boats and they're supposed to be freaking out. And they were because it's like uh, these guys don't know what they're doing. And, and they just were trained like eight hours before and um, adding to the actual chaos of, of the movie. 
So at this point, you know, we already had the scene where the designer basically says, yeah, this ship is going to go down. And they have and, to wake up the captain. Yeah. And tells uh, Ismay, you're going to get your story. You jerk. Yeah. That's a great look. That on is Ismay's a good. Face, it's though. so it's good. so perfect. For the longest time, I thought that was F. Marie Abraham. Like when really? I rewatched it, I was like, wait, that's not him. That's some other guy. Someone else up. who has really good facial expression, especially in this scene is Bernard Hill, who plays the captain. And in the commentary, James Cameron kind of mentions that while they were shooting, he felt like Bernard wasn't giving enough, like wasn't emoting enough, maybe, or doing enough. But once he saw the dailies, he was like, oh, he's just doing these like really subtle things that really convey what I wanted him to convey. I just didn't feel like he was doing it the first time. And so I think he's he does he does a really good job in this scene, especially when he says that line. I believe you may get your headlines. Then we move to, again, how rich people are getting prepared for this and poor people. Poor people are just sort of in desperation mode and just sort of trying to get up to get to the to the lifeboats. And then rich people are putting money in their bags and like thinking like, oh, this is just a slight sort of like, you know, we'll be back in a few hours. They're just going to call a drill about the whole thing. And it it just goes back to the whole separation of class and just the ideology of it and thinking rich people are always going to be fine and that they're sort of, you know, are flawless and, and can't be hurt. Yeah. And also, meanwhile, Cal, instead of getting ready to leave, is just worried about trying to catch Jack and framing him. Which leads to the conference, uh, the confrontation with uh, Cal and Rose, um, which originally, you know, uh, Kate Rose spits in Cal's face. But the original idea was that, um, again, another idea of that Kate brought to the table was she was supposed to stab a cow with a, with a hairpin. Kate's like, but like she learned how to spit. Like we got to like bring that back and incorporate it. And James Cameron was like, genius. She's like, I didn't learn how to spit for no reason. Right. Actually, we were talking about the spit in that scene earlier being egg whites. I read that she, they did the spit take so many times in uh, Billy Zane's face that she ran out of spit and they had to use lube. So I'm wondering if maybe they used egg white or maybe it was lube. I don't know. I read that it was lube, but. And then it also point to how we were saying how like Rose's hair is down. Why would she have a hairpin if her hair is already down? She would just like have it on her somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. This is what I like to call Rose becomes a hero of the movie because this is where things start going into like kind of like James Cameron's wheelhouse of like kind of horror kind of it's like my favorite sequence. It's a really good sequence going back a little bit to right before she spits in Cal's face. She's supposed to get on the lifeboat with Ruth and Molly Brown and she decides not to. And it's just kind of like, well, fuck you. I'm going to go look for Jack. And so she spits in Cal's face and then kind of runs away to go and find him. And this is kind of where the movie gets I think really horrific if you're watching it because you kind of you've been kind of upstairs this whole time where like nothing's flooding, nobody's dying, everything's just kind of kind of just commotion really. Nothing's really gone crazy yet. So when uh Rose goes down to try and look for Jack, she gets in an elevator and the guy's like, "No, this elevator's closed." And she like shoves him in and says, "You're taking me down pretty much to Edek um cuz she has to go find Jack." So they go down and like at some point the whole bottom of the elevator just starts like flooding with water, like super crazy, which they also kind of did um, not in one shot, but they kind of didn't know what it was going to look like. So they were just like, fuck it, let's just flood the elevator and see how it looks. And it looks really good. And so she gets off the elevator and as the elevator rises, you kind of see the water like cascading out like a waterfall. And this is when the shot kind of like tilts a little bit and you get like a really good like horror shot because everything is flooded there's like lights that are like sparking and sputtering behind her. And this is, you can hear the ship even like groaning a little bit behind her, which is like really unsettling when you think about it. That water that they're in was 59 degrees Celsius. And the crew had, uh, you know, suits on, but Kate and and Leo had to do it, you know, just with the costumes that they had on. So they were really feeling the the cold. Um, So I feel like they're not really acting there. You can see her lips are like blue at some point. And I guess there were two sets. So there's like the hallway set where she's running around, which was a set that was built to move up and down so they could sync it and unsync it in case they needed to reset. And then there's the room that Jackson 
like the jail cell or whatever. And that was a separate set. That wasn't part of like the up and down set. That one I think was just stationary. But when the water comes in, that was underwater. That was really underwater. So when you see out of the, like the hole of the side of the ship, that's like actually below like sea level. Um, And so the scene where like finally Kate, uh, you know, axes and sets him free when Leo hits that water and he's like, shit, shit, shit. I'm pretty positive. Those are real. When she's looking for the ax, um, where the lights just go out and just like that whole scene is really good from a sound perspective. Cause you just really hear all you hear is the ship groaning. Basically you hear her labored breathing. You hear her heels kind of like clacking on the floor and that's pretty much it. That's like all you get in the entire scene, which is really good. And then when the lights go out, all you see is like this like flicker of light, like in her eyes. I don't know where it's coming from, but that's kind of how you can tell how dark it is. And then the lights come back on and she sees the axe and then she like opens it and then goes to save Jack. I mean, she essentially turns into Ripley. From she does. Alien. It's great. You could see where, where, where it all sort of came from. Leo hated all the water scenes, would like moan and complain about it. Uh, Kate ended up first initially hating it, but then just embraced it and just said like screw it I'm just gonna do it so she became like uh she talks about in the future like anytime she did a movie where there was water she was like the water expert and since all the crew knew that she had done Titanic they would go to her for like advice and stuff like that this all leads into another sort of heartbreaking scene where uh the second officer light toller is basically filling the lifeboats like half capacity there's arguments whether this really happened or not but Apparently the reason why he was doing that in real life was because he knew that his crew was going to be the last ones to get off the ship and to leave basically leaving spaces for the crew members instead of just thinking like, wow. So he was just thinking selfishly instead of thinking of like, we need to rescue people. And then the string quartet, the actual string quartet was found in Switzerland. The main violinist was not part of the, the, uh, the ensemble. It was an actor. And so he's the only one that has like speaking lines. Oh, okay. He's the only one with dialogue. Yeah. All the songs that they play, they play them once inside and then once outside. So basically what they play on the outside, they've already played um, inside of the, the Titanic. Officer Murdoch, he's the one that basically pulls out the gun and ends up shooting the, the Irish fellow. The family actually found out about what was going to happen in the movie and that he like kills himself. There's no actual proof that that actually happened but there are you know um reports that there were gunshots at the time of people loading the lifeboats and there some eyewitnesses say that he actually ended up not that he shot someone but that he possibly could have killed himself i read as well that there was witnesses that said that they saw one of the officers shoot himself but they don't know if it was him but his family was pretty upset about it. Anytime there's some kind of despair or like, again, coming back to what we're going through now, like, you know, nothing ever good happens with people panic. That's true. That's a lesson that, you know, we should know by now, but we don't know yet that we haven't realized yet. And so anytime there's a great disaster, you know, it's, it's always like hysteria. It's always like the hysteria that, that sort of is worse than the actual sort of moment sometimes in between these moments where we're up on deck we kind of see other things like right before i think right before murdoch shoots um the irishman and then kills himself you have that scene where they're loading lifeboats and you say isma you see isma get on a boat and murdoch's like you fucking asshole and like still lets it go down (laughs) like he kind of just like there's a split second where he just looks at him and he's like dude really and then Ismay just like will not look at him, which actually which happened. actually happened. Yeah. Like he like cowered and like and completely regretted it for the right. Rest of his it life. just like haunted him forever. The other thing too that I think historically we forget is that how many different cultures and languages were on the ship, and there are scenes I think later in the sequence when when Kate and Leo are trying to run back up, where like you there all the signage was in English, and you have uh I don't I don't know what ethnicity he is but he's like oh he has a book and he's trying to translate translate which is like super sad not only did that happen in the actual titanic but the cast and crew were all mixed with you know europeans and americans and and germans and russians and and so it was sort of 
it, it kind of mirrored what actually happened and how, you know, again, going back to communication, if we could all just communicate, you know, we could save a bunch more lives when, when things like this happen. Another poignant scene is Rose and the creator. Oh, and Andrews. Uh, yeah, that's a good scene. So in the scene, it's appearing that they're obviously the ship's already going down. And so it's, so it's on, like at slightly an angle, tilted, but it wasn't, it was actually level. So Cameron had the actors sort of lean, lean <laughs> into the fireplace. But what's crazy is if you look, their glasses filled with. It's like level. No, it's. Ang- oh, it's it, angled. Gels. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cause I was going to say, I remember it being kind of angled. It's like jello, but it's, it's, it's on a slant. Everyone's just sort of just leaning and just doing it the old way. And, and then the camera's tilted a little bit as well. That's a really good scene too, especially for the character of Thomas Andrews. I thought they did such a good job with that character. Like I know it's such a minor character, but you really feel how genuinely this person cared for like the passengers on the ship because you have that scene where um, Rose is looking, they're like looking for something. And so she runs into... Um, I think it's right after the ship gets hit with iceberg and it's still Rose and Cal and they're looking for where the lifeboats are. And she talks to Thomas Andrews and she's like, okay, tell me what's really happening. And he's like, okay, the boat is legit going to sink. Like you need to get to a lifeboat right now and you need to get out of here because there's not enough lifeboats for everyone. And then you have that last scene where she sees him the last time, which was where they actually last saw Thomas Andrews was in front of that fireplace. That's the last time anyone saw him. And he kind of just says like, good luck. And they just kind of have like a really good relationship throughout the movie. It's very poignant of like the creator. That's why even in my notes, I call him the creator because it's sort of like the creator seeing his child die in front of him. And uh, the poignancy in that is, is just like super powerful. The next sequence is Captain Smith. Which is just like the worst. Yeah. Apparently in his real life, nothing ever really went wrong in in his career as the, the balls the whole idea of, again that he was supposed to retire and like you know flawless record and this was supposed to be a happy moment for him and just visually just him walking in and then closing the door and just like knowing what's about to happen it's crazy because you see the whole entirety of the windows fill with water before any of it actually breaks in which is like so scary to imagine just like surrounded by water and then it all just like comes gushing in, which is like the last you see of the captain. Do you know the song that the last song that the string quartet played? It's a hymn. Mm-hmm. It, I forgot the name. Near my God to thee. But there's a debate of whether or not that was the actual I did hear that. Song. I felt like that seemed a little too on the nose. Yeah. But yeah. also like with what was happening, they might have played it. It is a true story that they played for as long as they could. Uh, on the actual Titanic and um, that that's probably my favorite sequence in the whole movie. The it's montage. like that montage, right? Where you it's, get it's everyone. It's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And you see the shots of, of the old couple on the bed as the water's rising. And then it's the, like the mother and her two kids. She's like reading them a story. Yeah. Like which putting them to bed. They're the, going up the steps. Yeah, they're like trying to get up. And basically the, all the mom could really do is reassure, oh yeah, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. But that scene, obviously just putting them to the most comfort as, as possible before, before the end. Fabrizio cuts the cable. So there are variations to his demise. In the movie, obviously you see him like grab a knife and he's just like trying to like release some of the the cables for the, for the light puts to hit the water. Uh, but originally it was much different. One of the versions of him dying was that he was going to get sucked down with vortexes. So as Titanic's sinking down and creates natural vortexes, he's going to get sucked in and just kind of drown. And then the other one, which is like just really fucked up. Um, he was supposed to swim and find a cow in a, in a lifeboat. He swims to it and he tells Cal, it's my destiny to make it to America. And then Cal hits him over the head with the oar and tells him it's that way. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Which even like the producers were like, even for Cal, that's Damn. like, that's, that's harsh. One of my favorite shots, though, is it's a tracking shot. Basically, it's like going from the front of the boat all the way to the back. And then you see Leo and Kate 
uh, running here. Yeah. Well, you don't, you kind of see them running, but you lose them in the crowd. Oh, okay. But then they show up on the, on the, on the poop deck. Yeah. That's a set. That's like 300 extras, eight cameras rolling. Um, and it's one of those shots where it's just like, just fucking go for it and like, just like see what we get. But it's timed so perfectly. Yeah, because you could actually run from end to end in like a matter of not that long. But the timing of it with the reveal of them is just like so perfect. It's like it's one of my favorite shots and it's all real. There's no CGI. I really like the shot of I think it might be in the near my God to the sequence where you see the woman. She's just like floating and then you see like the light dome. It's like the light dome. It's an underwater shot and you see her floating and she's wearing like a white nightgown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really cool scene because it's very like horror like but it's still i think it looks really good still speaking of like how fabrizio was gonna die like a lot of natural vortexes happen in those scenes where like the the water just kind of rushes in it would drag like some of the stunts and some of the actors like down there's one where there's like a window that gets broken and like two actors get like sucked into it and i guess that actually that like that suction was real i don't know if it's fabrizio that also gets sucked in there but I know it's like two actors that are in there and they weren't stunt people. So like literally the water was just like pulling them into this window. This like it's not a porthole. It's like a bigger window. That's another thing that's just incredible about like the movie that just logistically like to shoot in water and just to. All right, let's do it again and let's bring up the set and like dry everything off. Put the plates black to where they were and everything. And it, it sort of reminds me of like Lawrence of Arabia and they, they would talk about how like. You know, the camels are walking through the desert, these like long landscape shots and they got to redo it again. And they have guys with like rakes to like smooth out the sand and just like it's a lot. No wonder why James Cameron was pissed off all the time. Yeah, because I, I would be too. <laughs> it all goes back to him. There are all these horror stories of directors just going nuts. It's yeah. them having to deal with producers and in, in the studios and like they're the ones that have to answer for for all this. The ship breaks. So the poop deck set was able to go perpendicular with the water. And the first time that they try to go perpendicular, one of the cables snapped. They couldn't reset it for 45 minutes. So literally everyone, Kate, Leo, were stuck oh my God. in that angle for 45 minutes before they could like reset it. That sequence is probably the biggest thing I remember of the trailer when I first saw it. The scene where it's going down and you see that one stunt digital like fall. fall and hit like the oh, railing and the crossbar. Yes. That's of the trailer that I do remember. That's like the, the my favorite is one. the guy that falls and hits the propeller and he just goes thong yeah. and like you see him like flip around a billion times. Yeah. So Kate, uh, knowing that they couldn't get a makeup artist up there or anybody, she had a bunch of makeup in her uh, life jacket nice. just hidden. So if any touch-ups were needed to be done, or if uh, Leo needed something, you know, she'd just pull it out she of her. Like water. <laughs> snacks, granola bars. Yeah. Also my favorite. Well, not my favorite because I keep saying that, but a really good sequence. Like when the, just like the final plunge that it makes. And when Jack's like, it's going to suck us down like a vortex. Um, I actually tried to hold my breath at the same time that they go under. I didn't make it. I would have died. But Especially if it was that freezing, if the water was that cold, like I would not have made it for sure. Did you do that just consciously or just like as a fun thing? No, when we were watching it this last time, I was like, I'm going to do oh, okay. it as a fun thing. Cause he's like, you're going to, we're going to have to hold our breath as soon as you get down. Like I almost made it. Maybe if I would have tried a little harder, but then thinking about how cold the water would have been, I probably oh, would not yeah. have made it. Like your, Cause your it just like takes your breath be, away yeah. as soon as you hit the cold water. Your lungs are way smaller and like, there's no way your lung capacity is the same. Did you know that Leo is a certified scuba diver? Did not know that. And so he was still complaining about the water scenes? Come on. The tank where they shot, uh, you know, the infamous door scene and everyone freezing to death was a 20 foot tank that was only three feet deep. So a lot of the, the people that are frozen and dead are really like on their knees because if they stood up and be way too high. But again, all credit to like everyone there. Because yeah, it's they're just absolutely like bobbing up and down. Since Leo was a certified scuba diver, he kind of took care of Kate because she didn't realize in that scene that you're talking about where the, the vortex sucks him in that she would have to be underground or underground, uh, underwater. underwater. And so it required her to take, you know, scuba and snorkel and, right. and all that stuff. The last 22 minutes of the film were all ADR. Now what ADR is, is basically 
sometimes on movie sets when you're shooting it live, um, you have effects or a fan blowing or something and the dialogue track is just not usable because there's just all this other noise. And so what you have to do is go back after you shoot it and then do the dubbing over like it actually happened. So what's crazy is because you had vacuum sucking in water and, and all that stuff. All that audio was unusable when they're just kind of floating there in the water. So all of that was done afterwards, which that's one, really of my well done. Big, one of my biggest sticklers sometimes is sync, audio sync. And sometimes you could tell when it's done badly because it's just, it doesn't even come close. But like, if I had enough research that there's no way that I would have said like, oh, that's, that was replaced. Now that I, if I watch it again, I'm going to look at it this time. A scene that was cut in the movie, but that actually happened, Officer Lowe, or as I like to call him, Mr. Fantastic. I don't remember his name. I forget that that's who that is. I as forgot his I name him, too. I'm like, dude, it's oh, Mr. Fantastic. I never put it together. When they're transferring people to make room f- to find people that are, that were in the water, um, there was a man dressed up as a woman. I did hear that, that men were doing, like in the scene where Cal tries to pick up the kid and he's like, I have a child. Like I heard that men were wearing like scarves yeah. and like bonnets and stuff trying to pass off as ladies. So shameful. The door. Much has been said and written <laughs> about this and whether there was enough room for Leo and whatnot. I think Cameron went on the record to say that they wouldn't have floated, that they would have sank. So even though there was physical room, but the weight wouldn't have been enough. And there's actually a de- another deleted scene where uh, Leo's in the water, uh, Kate's on top of the door, and there's a random man that tries to, that notices that and says like, hey, I'm trying to, like, I'm freezing to death. Like, can I, can I like, do you, and he's like, no, like, we're going to, it's, it's like, gonna, if I'm it's not on the sink. door, yeah. you're not going to get on the door. And he's like, but I'm going to die. And he's like, and then Leo says, well, you're going to die anyways if you come an inch <laughs> closer. And then he just kind of like, Flims thank away. you and God bless. And then he <laughs> oh just like, God. goes over. <laughs> That's funny. The scene where Kate actually gets on the lifeboat because Cal says that he's going to get a boat for him and Jack. Do you think Jack would have survived if she had stayed on the lifeboat? Yeah. And just left? Yeah. I think so too. I think the entire end of the movie could have been rewritten where Jack lives, Cal lives, and and or Rose like lives. Fabrizio swims up to Cal's boat and like kills him with his knife and then like sits in his place. Jack is like crafty like that. Yeah, like he would have like, figured it out. He would have figured yeah. out some way to like jump on a lifeboat and maybe he would turn into a woman. I don't know. He would put a dress on. But the love, the love between him and Rose is just it's too powerful. I guess. So the water that they were in um, couldn't be refrigerated uh, because it would create steam. So even though it's supposed to look cold, it was actually like at 80 degrees. So a lot of the breath, well, actually all of the breath was created digitally, uh, which again is another effect that like, it's so seamless. Yeah. I think there's only one scene in it where the breath is actually real. I think it's when they're up on the deck and Cal is talking to Murdoch and trying to like bribe him or something. Yeah. I think that's one of the only scenes where the breath is actually natural. I think it might be that scene. But everything else, the breath is digital and it looks really good. They built these freezers because they shot it um, for real. It wasn't a complete digital effect. They use uh, real people and actually like painted their mouths black and put them in in a black backdrop. So all you could really distinguish is like the, the breath. It took them 11 and a half hours to shoot all the dying scenes. So all those extras had to just be chilling there, you know, in sort of frozen state for, for all that time. And the line where, where uh, the officer says, is anyone alive out there over and over again? They did that so many times. And I think that the extras sort of, it finally hit them the gravity of what they were doing and what actually took place and, and who they were representing that. Uh, some of the extras just began to cry and had to sort of hold that back as as they were shooting it. How many times does Rose say I love you to Jack? Once. Yes. But what does Jack say in return? Um, he doesn't say I love you. He says something else. Is it I know? No. He says never let go. Oh, okay. I think it's on the AFI's 100. 100. Uh, most quoted Quotes, yeah. uh, of all time. There's a lot of lines in that movie that should probably yeah. be on that list. They're frozen, right? I feel like when she takes his hand off, it's mm-hmm. very seamless. It shouldn't no, be like, doesn't it like... 
Does it? I think it does. I think she like struggles to like let well, go of his hand. Well, maybe but it doesn't. I mean, should his some fingers skin. be broken oh, or yeah. something? I, I think like a finger, yeah, come off. Like if a something. finger broke off, that would probably make more sense. Thoughts about that that scene? Apparently, being like freezing to death is one of the most peaceful ways to die, because you kind of just fall asleep. It's true. That's what I've heard from people that study. Like hypothermia, and then James Cameron said it in the commentary too. Oh, really? That it's supposed to be one of the most peaceful ways to die because you kind of just you just yeah. kind of fall asleep. I read that during the sinkings, like when a ship is sinking, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I know, realized that the stars weren't aligned the way they would be on that date. All those star backdrops are pretty terrible. I hadn't noticed until. It's- it's really bad. I saw the, or I read the Neil deGrasse Tyson thing. So I guess in the 2012, when they re-released it again, James Cameron went back and like fixed all the stars and like made them how I they should have looked. I the Blu-ray. I guess not. Because the Blu-ray looks pretty terrible. I've ha- I hadn't even, <laughs> I should notice these things I don't know more. if it's a bad, tran- I mean, it could be a bad transfer. I'm sure if they ever do a 4K or yeah. whatever, it'll look better. But damn, it's, it's not good. Rose gets rescued. Jack is dead. They get rescued by the Carpathia, which I don't know. Is that the ship that they mention when the guy is like, oh, it'll be here in four hours. Is that the Carpathia? I think so. Because that's also a really crappy scene. Not crappy as in it looks crappy, but like if I was the captain, I'd be like, oh, crap, four hours. We only have like an hour. Um, so, yeah, they get rescued by the Carpathia and then um, they're kind of going around taking names. Rose happens to see Cal kind of looking for her because he's kind of looking around, but she has like a shawl that she got and she kind of covers her face so that he doesn't see her, which is good. And then um, one of the officers like asks for her name and she gives herself the name Rose Dawson. Yeah. Which I mean, I guess. I feel like you're not like into the whole romance aspect of it. I am, but like, I guess as a realistic person maybe i don't know i guess that's fine i I just i I don't really feel either way about it like i don't hate it and i don't love it so i'm just kind of just like what but you don't get like teary-eyed or anything i got more teary-eyed when they were showing the montage of people dying yeah (laughs) like versus like jack dying i was like "Mm." that's the only part i get emotional about the home yeah exactly like i said earlier that like it messed me up way more this time watching it than like the time before i had seen it but yeah, I don't really care about Jack dying that much. <laughs> In a deleted scene. So it's it's the same premise. They get rescued by the Carpathia. And Cal sees a, another redheaded woman thinking it's her. And he actually goes up to her and like flips her around. And, but it's not. It's oh, not, um, okay. It's not Rose. I feel like the final cut of it is way better because it's it's less specific it's it's more implied of it's like, more like something that would actually happen maybe yeah and even then i'd be like what are the odds that he would be like walking around the ship and then like maybe see her backtracking a little bit so when the the carpe there's a shot where the lifeboats are going towards the carpathia yes that is the actually only scene that was actually shot in open water oh. it was off the coast the lifeboats are an actual ocean the carpathia is, is cgi Everything Crazy. else was was stationary or or digitally enhanced. First class dogs survived while humans died. Only first class dogs. Those third class dogs. Are just... Nope. I actually in that book that I found a book because I was a hefty collector at some point of Titanic memorabilia. I have like eight VHSs I didn't know I had, and I have a book that's like a story One about of which the, is narrated by Orson Welles. The Titanic. Yeah, the book I have actually says that there's a witness of a guy seeing a bulldog just like paddling in the water afterward and that someone freed all the dogs from the kennel, which means they all kind of died anyway, but better dying in the ocean than in a cage, I guess. Yeah. I I would go for that. Right. Because at least like you have will to sort of. Maybe one of them found a door. Maybe. You said the first class one survived. There you go. So now we're back in present time and we have, Rose's conclusion of of the story and walking on the uh, bow of the ship or no, not the bow, the poop deck. The stern? I think it's the stern is the back. The back. The back of the boat. 
I don't know, guys. Like this is like two plus hours and <laughs> we still don't have the the boat terminology correct. But again, mentoring where she almost killed herself and her last moments on the Titanic and dropping the heart of the ocean. She had all the time. And I, I completely forgot my favorite line in the whole movie. I put the diamond in the coat and I put, I put the, the coat, coat on, on her. her. Yeah, that's a good line. I heard that line like fucking. Did you really? A shit ton of times when I was a teenager. That's a good line. One of the worst deleted scenes, and thank God it got deleted. Oh, no. That sequence of Rose going to the back of the ship and then dropping it was way bigger, where you have Bill Paxson and his granddaughter realizing, you know, that, oh, material things aren't important anymore and like human beings and, you know, whatever. And the crew's parting because they've pretty much renounced the fact that they're never going to find the diamond, knowing that not knowing that Rose has it. Old Rose gets on, on the steps of the thing. Her granddaughter sees her. And he's like, what are you doing? Thinking she's going to jump off. Yeah. Her and Bill Paxton run down and try to grab her. Then she reveals that she has a diamond and Bill Paxton's like, oh my God. Like <laughs> you had it the whole time. The acting is not great. Yeah. The, the whole setup to it is not great. And then, and he's like reaching and he's in, and, and Rose is like, I'm going to drop it in the ocean. Like, I don't really care what you have to say. He's like, I just need to hold it once. And she slowly puts it in his hand. And then he looks at it like very, just like in the worst way possible. And then holds it for like a second. And then she tosses it. Truly, truly awful. (laughs) If, if that would have been kept in the movie, it, it, it would have ruined it. Thank God it wasn't. I could have done without Rose being like, "Eh," like when she drops it, that's like, unnecessary the shot of it spiraling down was shot in the pool of uh one of the uh i believe john lando the one of the producers wow. uh, pool in the backyard while his whole family was watching the callback shot originally when they shot it the whole cast and crew is like why are we doing this this makes no sense like no one everyone thought it was going to be cut um going back to the staircase and they live happily ever after what I like to call the lost ending. They were dead the whole time. They weren't though. They weren't. Don't, no, nope. No. Even Kate wasn't talks about, I was like, yeah, I don't know what that scene was like when they shot it. And, but it kind of wraps up everything. And it the, works. Even before that, the montage of, and not even a montage, it's the close up shots of Rose's life and how she was able to do oh, I everything love that. that Jack That's and her talked scene. about um, leading into like, the sunken ship and then leading into the, the, the callback shot of them in the staircase and the white dress, which Kate was said she loved that dress. It did. It worked. It worked perfectly. Yeah. And I it was, when I was listening to the commentary, um, James Cameron was saying that at first they tried it without everyone clapping. Like once they kiss, everyone starts clapping. They're like, why would you have the cast in your movie clap for a kiss at the end of your movie in your movie? Exactly. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Exactly. But I guess it just worked better that way. I think it works. Yeah. And I think it's what you would wish would happen even in your own life. Like imagine like you're about to die and like you get one last call back to to Leonardo DiCaprio. Totally. But you see all your family and friends and like one final time. And it's like, that's why like it's so lost. Also, I guess I'm dumb because I never thought about the fact that people were like, oh, that means that Rose died while she was sleeping. (laughs) I had never thought about that until like fairly recently. At first, I, w- I just thought it was just kind of like, oh, this is what should have happened. And now that I'm older and more cynical, I guess she did die. <laughs> and that's the conclusion of the movie. We did it. We did it. We've left out one major piece, though. The story behind My Heart Will Go On, which Great. if you could tell by our voices, we're not <laughs> the biggest fans of. Mostly because it's not that it's a terrible song, but having lived through it and been hearing it for years on the radio and just how much it played at the time. It also, was, I was really obsessed with that song because it was from Titanic and Titanic was like my favorite movie for like two years. And even I'm sick of that song. I just like played it out for myself. It would be the equivalent of uh stars born. Like what happened with shallow shallow. Yeah, exactly. Like, I still sing like, that at karaoke though. I would say that I enjoyed that song still more than same. My Heart Will Go On. Same, same, same. James Cameron was against having a song for, for a movie. He just wanted, he wanted James Horner 
to uh, write the score, which I love the score. I love the music. James Horner was adamant that it could use like a song. And so he took the melody from, from Titanic, the love medley and basically got a poet to write lyrics for it. And unbeknownst to James Cameron, James Horner was friends with Celine Dion and basically flew to Vegas, met Celine Dion and told her, Hey, I have this song that I want you to, to, to take a look at, not telling her that it was from Titanic or anything like that. She liked the song. They did a demo of it. And so he flew back to James Cameron and was trying to find just the right time to sort of approach him and tell him about it. And so they're working on the score and finally sees the moment and says, Hey, I want, I want to play something. And he plays, plays him the demo. And the first thing James Cameron says is like, this is a song. <laughs> what did we I say? We talked about this to the surprise of James Horner. He actually, Cameron really liked the song and even played it for one of his daughters. He said, all right, let's do it. And they re-recorded it. And then the rest is fucking history. It's one of those stories where it was something that wasn't supposed to be and then happened and then it became its own humongous thing, just yeah. like with everything Titanic. So all through production, there were a lot of rumors circulating that Titanic was going to be a legitimate disaster. Yeah, when we're talking about disaster movies. Not only was <laughs> a real Titanic a disaster, but they were saying because it was there was production, you know, halts and again going over budget and taking your sweet time to make the movie and i think even variety at one point had like titanic watch titanic watch where they were just like riff on it every day which about like i'm like, sad that i wasn't around or not wasn't around like wasn't old enough at the time to get all my movie news from variety that would have been fun even james cameron had the attitude of like well if this is going to be a disaster, I'm going to go down swinging, just kind of go for it. And I may never direct a movie again, especially again, because the movie cost $200 million to make. So they did a test screening of it, of all places, the mall of America in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I forget the movie that they were originally going to show. Great expectations. Yes. It was great yes. expectations. Yes. James Cameron thinking, Oh, once they see Titanic pop up, since everyone knew it was coming, that people would cheer and like no one cheered. And so they did the test screening and what they found was that the first half of the movie previous to the iceberg, the pacing of it was really good is it was the disaster part that was taking forever, which to me was like vice versa. The opposite. Like to me, yeah. I enjoy the second half of the movie more than the first me half. Me too. But what I think it told them is that the character building and the relationships was working. Okay. And so that, that they had sense. to trim down the, the obvious stuff. So after the test screening in Minneapolis, the movie premiered actually in Tokyo at the Tokyo International Film Festival to rave reviews. Tokyo and loves Leonardo DiCaprio too. Some of the footage that you can find, it's like Beatlemania with Yeah, Leo, it's insane. Going nuts. We've talked about to death of how it cost $200 million. Do you know what the highest, the most expensive movie ever made? Is it a crappy one? Yes. Is it a Marvel movie? Close, but it's Damn. made by Disney. Is it made in the last five years? I was shocked, to be honest. Um, no. I have no idea. It was made in the in the 2010s, though. It is Pirates of the Caribbean on <gasps> Stranger Tides. No. Cost three hundred. Hey, I like that movie. It's not a crappy movie. Million dollars. <laughs> Shut up. That's a good movie. That's the last one, right? On Stranger Tides? Is that the one with the mermaids? And Penelope Cruz? Yeah. I like that movie. Okay. Well, I don't know why everyone hates that movie. I like that movie. It's all right. No, I, I think on Stranger Tide. No, it is. Yeah. Because the last one was Dead Men Tell No Tales. Well, that's the most expensive movie ever made, which is insane to me. Probably because you had Penelope and Johnny Depp and Jeffrey Rush and Ian McShane. And it was the fifth Pirates at that time? Yeah. In the beginning, you know, people talk about how much money it made and it was like, it's the third highest grossing movie of all time. Um, but it didn't start off that way. It made like $24, 25000000 million. It wasn't that much. Yeah. What ended up happening was that it stayed at number one for a really long time. It was number one for 128 days straight. Was in theaters for 54 weeks. Now in comparison, Rise of Skywalker <laughs> Sorry. was only in theaters for like 14 or 13 weeks. And I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt today too. Yeah. That's the the world that was in. And of course this is before streaming yeah. and video on a man and also, all that. Also, I don't think I was going to say the rise of Titanic. I don't think Titanic had 
like a midnight showing or that wasn't a thing back then. They didn't have like early viewings or anything like that. No. Domestically, it made a total of over $600 million worldwide, 1.8 million and total 2.1, like I said, third, third all time. The biggest movie before that, 1996 was Independence Day. Uh, 1995 was Die Hard with a Vengeance. And 1994 was Lion King. Post-Titanic, you had Armageddon, Saving Private Ryan, Star Wars Episode One, and The Matrix as the blockbusters of, of their heyday. What was the highest grossing day, do you think, for Titanic? Keep in mind, it, it ran from December. Do you mean holiday? I'm not I know I'm this. saying day. I know this. But I think I know. It's Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, 1998 was the highest grossing day, which is insane. If I'm not mistaken, they bring it back every Valentine's Day. That's amazing. I'm shocked that Sinespia hasn't done that for their Valentine's Day screening. Right. I'm sure it's a, a rights thing where James Cameron. Also, like, it's way too long to be at the Los Angeles Theater. Now we enter award season. And because we want to be your Oscar podcast of record, Titanic was nominated for 14 Academy Awards, tying All About Eve for all-time nominations. It won 11, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Effects, Best Visual Effects, Original Song, and Best Original Score. Winning 11 meant that it also tied for most wins all time, tying Ben-Hur. That Oscars that year was still the highest rated uh, Oscar show of all time, 57.8. To 5 million people watch that. In comparison, this last Oscars, which is like second lowest of all time, it was like, I think in like 22, 23 million. Oh, so. I would have thought it was lower than that. So it's like literally more than half. Best Picture nominees, it went up against Goodwill Hunting, As Good As It Gets, The Full Monty, and LA Confidential, which like, those are like solid. That's a good, yeah, that's pretty um, solid. And that's back when it was... Five. Five. So Billy Crystal hosted that year and... You know, Billy, I love Billy Crystal. I think he should host Oscars from now till he drops dead, basically. (laughs) But he was always famous for doing these like musical montages in the very beginning. And of course, he uses Titanic a lot. And there's one sequence, though, that probably wasn't the great idea. And so he's mocking the the polka dance with uh, Leo and, and Kate. And there's a scene where like it's like Kate, she's dancing and then it cuts away and he would he does a really great Sammy Davis Jr. impression. But he's in blackface. And it's awful. It's awful. And it's I was trying to think who else could they have gotten to do Sammy Davis Jr.? Tommy Davidson of In oh, Living yeah, Color. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He would do a great Sammy Davis Jr. impression, but other than that the montage is like hilarious and then Billy Crystal comes out in like Titanic and Yeah, he comes like, out like on the ship, right? Like Jack yeah. and they lower him down and stuff like that. Not only was Titanic a huge success in the box office, but it raked up every, you know, Academy Award known to man. What's its legacy to you? Like, what do you think of now, you know, 20 years removed of of Titanic? Well, I think it's still as popular, probably more popular than it was when it came out. I mean, we're still talking about it 20 years later, pretty much. It's been 20, yeah, it's almost been 20 years. And it's just, I hadn't, when we watched it recently, I hadn't watched it in a really long time, at least not completely all the way through. And I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to like it. Like I thought, oh, I'm older now. It's not going to be that good. Or like, I'm not going to be as excited about it as I was when I saw it. And I was still pretty excited. Like I'm down to watch it again. Like I kind of like really enjoyed it this time around when I watched it. So I think that's pretty much what it means to me. Like I'm, I'm just as excited to watch it now as I was the first time I saw it. I have more mixed feelings about it. Um, I respect the filmmaking of it and for its time, what it was trying to do and, and people, you know, give a crap for being over bloated and too expensive. But I mean, what they were able to achieve and to recreate, you know, the ship and the sets and the costumes. And I don't think you could make it the same way today. You know, a lot of it would so. be computer generated if someone said now, hey, let's build the entire ship, I don't think studios would be down for that, which is one of the questions that I had thought of. Could this movie even be made today? Being it, yes, it's well known, but it's not a property. It's not 
It's not a franchise. It's not a comic book. It's not a, a book. I don't know if it could be made exactly how it was made. And in a way, it's sort of the last of its kind where you have like 3,000 extras and like these massive sets. And like it, it reminds me of movies like, you know, like Lawrence of Arabia or like Bridge on the River Choir, like these like massive like old like, epics that now are are different. And so that aspect of it, I enjoy. But as far as having like an emotional attachment beyond that, it doesn't really, I mean, there are moments like we talked about, but other than that, it's sort of more of just the impact that it made that sort of, I respect. I think it's also a victim of its own success. I think it's been parodied so much. It's, it has the, the Star Wars effect where it was so massive. It was everywhere. You know, people in the middle of nowhere know what Titanic is almost more of the movie than the actual event um, that it's sort of become just laughable and like it's in memes and, and people joke about it. And I don't think people take it as seriously as they should. It's a good idea to watch it just as a movie, like try to disconnect. And I know for younger people, it's probably difficult because they've grown up with, you know, gifs and memes about it <laughs> and, and like just, you know, people ripping on it. But if you just watch it as a movie, it's a ride. It's, it's like a, it's like a, you know, like a theme park ride. So do you think it's the greatest disaster movie of all time though? I think so. I think so too. The scale of it. I mean, there've been like Poseidon Adventure and Towering Inferno and like Earthquake. Um, but I think the scale of it was just beyond any of those films. And the attention to detail was, I mean, goes back to James Cameron. Credit yeah. all to him. And I think also the fact that the production or pre-production and the production leading up to filming everything and filming everything, just the fact that that was kind of a disaster as it was happening because Variety kept reporting on it. Everyone thought it was going to suck. Everyone said it was going to fail. They were over budget. The shooting days were way off when they said they were supposed to be done. So I think that that disaster and the Titanic disaster put together would yeah. make it the greatest disaster movie. And that's one of the things that sometimes I think great movies are are a miracle in that a they get made in the first place and b that are executed in a way that become these big phenomenons and because as far as like all the good things that happened to it equally could have gone the other way easily in like a blink of an eye and so it's it's a little bit of fortune it's a little bit of skill and it's just if more people could do it you would have titanics left and right but it's just there's a there's a missing link that people can't can't seem to figure out what we'd like to do at the end of these podcasts is do a double feature so if you were to pair titanic with another film what would it be i'm going to go for another epic love story not i wouldn't even say epic but it's a big love story and it's also one of my favorite movies and it has music numbers in it and it's moulin rouge that's what i would pick just because um, I know it's not the same era, but just like the extravagance of it is pretty similar in the way that, you know, the costuming is this big production. They have all the musical numbers, which are big production pieces as well. So it kind of mirrors Titanic and the fact that Titanic was also a big production piece, even though it's not a musical, but there is a really recognizable song in it. Same way with Moulin Rouge, like it's a musical, but you also have like recognizable songs throughout the throughout the movie. Yeah, and it's a great love story too. And yeah. Tragic. My pick is completely different. And I really had a hard time trying to, you know, we could have done Revolutionary Road, which is like the obvious God. pick. And there were a few others that were just a little too bit obvious. But I thought of uh, one disaster movie. And again, this is one movie that our parents brought up years ago. And it's Alive. Oh my God. And so the reason I chose it, and for those who don't know, because uh, it's kind of a kind of a hidden gem, um, it's based on a true story, just like Titanic. Um, in 1972, a Uruguayan rugby team flew to Chile to play a game, and their plane crashed, and uh, 45 people were on board. Uh, 16 survived. They lasted there for you know two months after the crash before they got rescued. Not to spoil it, but there's some sketchy things that they had to do to <laughs> to survive but the reason i thought about that movie is because it's ideally the same sort of circumstances of 
of what would you do if that happened to you? What would you be willing to do? Would you sacrifice yourself, other okay. people? It's not the scale of Titanic, but I think it's the same message of sort of self-sacrifice. And in order for a small group of people to survive, you got to do some crazy shit. And that wraps up our deep dive into Titanic, all 45 hours of it. We really appreciate you guys listening, listening and sticking to this two-part episode. Next time on Cut, just another movie podcast. If you love rock and roll and are uncool, odds are you're probably will like our movie pick. If you want to get a hold of us and recommend movies for us to discuss, you can reach us at cutmoviepod at gmail.com. Same thing on Twitter and Instagram, cutmoviepod. And we're also doing a broadcast on YouTube. So if you just search cutmoviepod, you should be able to find us. We'll catch you guys on the next one.